invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know if you looked in the bulletin and saw the title of the message and thought, what in the world? The gift of weakness or the gift of weaknesses. How many of you remember sitting in a barber's, barber's chair or, uh, or waiting for the barber, maybe waiting on a doctor, and you saw this advertisement? You remember this? This was the advertisement where the guy, the first block, you can't see it. I just wanted you to see. see how, raise your hand if you remember this. A good bit of you. How many of you know who the, the muscle guy is? Somebody say it. Charles Atlas. Okay, very good. You know, this picture of this guy with his date out on the beach, and, and uh, this big bully comes by and kicks sand in his face. The guy gets up, and, you know, you think they're going to have a fight, and the big bully says, you know, I'm not going to hit you. You're, you're just a bag of bones. And so the guy goes back, and he gets this course from Charles Atlas. And in no time at all now, he's a muscle man, and he's able to beat up bullies on the beach, which is kind of the, the story of our life in the sense of is how we handle weakness. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about how he boasts in his weaknesses, and yet I don't think that's what we're taught in our culture. Uh, as I was studying this this message, just one of the illustrations or one of the ads I saw was for people that are big-time weightlifters, they have T-shirts that say, pain is weakness leaving your body. So, you know, if you're lifting and struggling, you know, no pain, no gain, when you're experiencing the pain, here's what you're supposed to think, that's weakness leaving my body. One of my favorite actors is John Wayne. There's a movie, Hondo. Anybody ever seen that movie? Hondo? If you haven't, you need to rent it. Hondo, and he tells this little guy, he says, don't ever apologize. Anybody remember this? Why? It's a sign of weakness. I like John Wayne. I'm not sure you need to take his advice on everything, okay? But weakness is something we look at and we don't see how in the world it could possibly be a gift. And yet, this morning, I want you to see how Paul considered it exactly that. Let me read verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What we see in this passage is really almost the opposite of what we're almost taught in our culture. Paul said there's a purpose to the weaknesses. Now, I didn't read the passage right before this, but Paul talks about a man. He said, I knew a man who went up into the third heaven. In case you're wondering, are there levels to heaven? In their culture, when they looked up during the daytime and saw clouds in the sky, that was considered the first heaven. When they looked up at night and could see planets and stars far outside of where they knew the clouds would be, that was the second heaven. But the third heaven was where God dwelled. And so Paul was taken up into heaven. Now, he describes it in kind of a third-party way. He says, I know this man, he's talking about himself, who went and had this experience where he got to catch a glimpse of heaven. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's six times that Paul has such revelations. He has these 
visions where God speaks to him. And so Paul said because of that, if, you know, if you've met God face-to-face seven times at least, wouldn't that kind of give you the big head? And so Paul said, in order to keep me from exalting myself, I've been given this thorn. So when he talks about the surpassing greatness of these revelations, that's the reason that God has given me this thorn in the flesh. In fact, it really indicates a new attitude of Paul. Paul describes this attitude also in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, when he says this. Right before this, the, the two verses I'm going to read, Paul's been talking about his resume. He was a Jew among Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a member of the Sanhedrin, really a, a, literally a persecutor of the church. And Paul says, I look at all that, all the things I could boast about, and say this, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. That's the attitude now of the Apostle Paul when he looks at his relationship with God. So he says, because of this surpassing greatness of these revelations, God has had to do something in my life to bring me back down to earth so that I don't exalt myself. And so he's given me a gift. He's given me the gift of a thorn in the flesh. Folks, it's hard to accept that as a gift. Have you ever been given something you really didn't want? Has anybody ever given you a pet? Like, here's a cat or a dog. You're kind of like, I don't want your cat or your dog. It's kind of like, you know, the movie Christmas Vacation where uh, Clark was hoping for a bonus so he could put a pool in. What does he end up getting? He gets enrolled in what? The Jelly of the Month Club. (laughs) And Cousin Eddie says, Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, that was not the gift he wanted. And if you're not careful, if you don't look at it with spiritual eyes like Paul is, you'd look at this gift and think, that's not a gift. I'd like to return this, please. Where's the gift exchange? Next white elephant party I go to, I'm giving this one up. No, Paul saw it as a gift. And the gift was a thorn in the flesh. The word thorn literally means anything pointed. In fact, it could be translated stake. Now, scholars have written volumes on what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't specify. And I think part of the reason he doesn't specify is apparently the Corinthian believers knew what this thorn was. Let me just give you some, uh, some of what commentators say. It could be anything from migraines to an eye condition to malaria, epilepsy, gallstones, gout, rheumatism, intestinal disorder, or speech impediment. Ouch. But there's other scholars that say, no, it wasn't anything physical. It was that Paul was tormented by these false teachers. And Paul was tormented by a church that some of them were turning from the gospel that Paul had preached and were following these false teachers. And and so when he calls it a messenger of Satan, it's literally the word angel. So in the same way that God has angels, what does Satan have? Demons. And so Paul says, this is a demon in the flesh. I think there's some indication... uh, I think one of the best indications in Scripture, if it was a physical condition, it may very well be an eye issue. Paul had a secretary that would write his letters for him. They called him an amanuensis. And Paul takes the pen himself in Galatians and says, see with what large letters I'm writing. A lot of scholars think he had an eye condition. And Paul even addressed that in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Listen to this and see if you pick pick up on this eye condition. He says, but you know... 
that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So some scholars think that's an indication that this thorn in the flesh was an eye condition. Now, at the end of the day, it's okay if we don't have clarity on what it is. Was it a, a physical malady? Was it the, the fact that uh, there were persecution coming from these false teachers that were leading people astray? The truth is he had both of those things. But whatever it was, Paul saw it as a gift because it led him closer to Christ. He called it a messenger of Satan to torment me. The word torment literally means to, to strike with a fist. Paul is basically saying this thorn is like somebody is punching me in the face constantly. And yet he viewed it as a gift. Why? Because it helped keep him from exalting himself. In fact, he said, I prayed. I implored the Lord three times. Three times, indicating that, that the prayer's over. I did this three times. But it's also reminiscent of Jesus in the garden who prayed three times. What did Jesus pray? Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any way for us to save mankind, if there's any way to pay the penalty for sin other than me having to go to the cross, then I'd rather not go to the cross. But then what does Jesus say? But not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus willingly went to the cross. Paul, whatever the thorn was, Paul said, God, please take this away from me. In Paul's mind, at times it was inhibiting the gospel, and yet that wasn't the way God viewed it at all. He said, I prayed that it might leave me. I have to ask myself the question, how, how do we respond to thorns? How do we respond to difficulties? Quite often... We will either try to run away from If God's trying to teach us something, it may be that pain comes our way. And somewhere we've gotten this attitude that, you know, as long as you're walking with Christ, bad things couldn't possibly happen to you, right? Don't raise your hand. We kind of have that attitude. God, I'm living for you. How could something like this happen? And then I think about various passages of Scripture. For one, the disciples in the boat, where the boat's about to be sunk on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. You ask yourself the question, were they in the middle of God's will? Were they doing what Jesus told them to do? Absolutely, and yet a storm still came. So it's possible to be living the Christian life, following Jesus closely, and bad things can happen. Now, I realize that is the exact opposite of what you hear by some TV preachers, but it's the truth of the gospel. Was Paul doing what God called him to do? Absolutely, and yet he had a thorn in the flesh. So what did it drive Paul to do? It drove him, first of all, to pray, he said, I prayed three times, but that's over because God's spoken to me. So I'm not praying for that anymore. And Paul had the attitude towards this thorn that it really was a good thing. And so secondly, I want you to see there's actually power in weakness. In fact, it's the gift of weakness that drives you to grace. As long as you somehow think, I don't need God, you won't turn to God in salvation. And you'll never receive grace. Paul said, he said to me. So Paul's prayed three times, and then we get to verse 9. Paul said, he said to me. And I don't know about you, but I have to wonder, how did he say this to him? Did Paul, through prayer, just had an impression that this is what God was saying? Or did God appear to him and say, Paul, you don't need to pray for this anymore because I'm going to use this 
as a means of grace in your life for my power to be demonstrated through you. Well, again, the Scripture doesn't answer that. We know that Paul had these face-to-face encounters with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So it may have been that. It may have just been an impression from his heart. How does God speak to us? Well, typically it's not a vision in the night. It's typically through his word. Paul didn't have the New Testament yet. He was going to end up writing most of it or a good bit of it. And so it may very well be that God, either through an angel or personally, appeared to Paul. We know he did it six times in Acts, and, and he took Paul up into heaven. But here's what he knows Jesus has said. My grace is sufficient. And I even have to back up and think, okay, what if, what if Jesus had answered the prayer the way Paul prayed it? What if when Paul said, please take this away, what if Jesus had done that? What would have been the result of that? Well, from the passage we know a couple of things. One, he would have never experienced the fullness of God's grace and the power of God being demonstrated through his life. And secondly, he probably would have never experienced the intimate walk that he had, a dependent walk with Jesus. So I don't know what your thorn is today. I don't know if you know if you feel like, God, there's some physical issues that I'm dealing with or other issues that I'm dealing with. It wasn't sin that Paul was dealing with. It was something beyond that. It was something outside of his responsibility. It wasn't sin, but it was either a physical malady or just a, a messenger of Satan in the form of a person that was persecuting him. But Paul saw it as a gift. And Jesus said, My grace is sufficient. For you. His grace. The word grace means undeserved favor. It means you're receiving something you don't deserve. And that word occurs 155 times in the New Testament. There's grace at salvation. Romans 3, 24. Paul writing says, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we experience grace at salvation. And folks, we've got to get this. If you don't get anything else from this message, understand the way you come to Christ is through faith in God's grace. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. You don't get to God by saying, look what I've done for you. God has blessed us with His grace. But it's also continuing in our life through sanctification. God's still at work in our life, even past salvation. 2 Peter 3, 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And then it's also a grace that takes us to glorifications, Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Folks, we've got to get this. Grace is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other religion. Let, let me say that again. Grace, that's how important it is. It sets the Christian faith apart from every other religion. On one of my trips to the Holy Land, we were up on the Temple Mount, and we had a guy share with our group the five pillars of Islam. The five pillars of Islam are this. Number one, believe in God, that there is only one God, and his messenger or prophet is Muhammad. Secondly, prayer, five times a day. Third, giving of alms, so charity. Fourth is fasting. And five is you've got to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, the guy that was explaining it to us, he said, now, you know, this one, if, if you can, if you're able, 
you need to go. And if you can't go to Mecca, then go to Medina or go here to Jerusalem, one of the three shrines of Islam. And after he explained all that, we're walking away, and a guy in my group said, you know, I'm glad he shared that because there's not a lot of difference between them and us. And I said, were you paying attention? Everything he talked about was work. Everything he talked about is, if you do these five things, you'll be right with God. And, of course, his response is, well, don't you think we ought to do good things? I said, absolutely. We don't do good things to get to God. We do good things because God's given us those things to do after we come to Him. It's not my good deeds, how many times I pray a day, how much money I give to the church, or where I take spiritual pilgrimages. It is about I am totally empty apart from Christ. So guys, we've got to get that, even in our culture, to understand it's by grace that you're saved. Yes, God wants you to do good things, because Ephesians 2, 8, it just said, that it's, it's a gift of God. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, yes, He has a plan for your life. Yes, He intends for you to do good things. But we don't do those so that He loves us. We do that because He loves us and because we have a relationship with Him. Are you following me? <laughs> if we don't get anything else, we've got to get that as the church because here's the good news. The good news is I'm saved not based on anything I've done. It is not about works. Anything you add to the cross becomes an enemy of the cross. I'm saved because Jesus did it all. And I've placed my faith there. I'm saved by grace, not something I deserve. And so when Paul says, here's what Jesus has taught me. Jesus has taught me, yes, you have a thorn in the flesh, but even in the midst of that, my grace is sufficient for you. What does the word sufficient mean? It means enough. My grace is enough, Paul. And yes, it's possible that you could pray and Jesus may answer the prayer by removing the thorn. But Jesus answered the prayer. Jesus answered the prayer by saying, Paul, there's a purpose in that thorn. So we're not going to take it away. It'll stay there. But Paul, you need to know this. In the midst of the struggle, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. And one of the greatest things that Paul was learning, one of the greatest things that was demonstrated through Paul's life was it wasn't about his power. I mean, people could have looked at Paul and said, Paul, you've had these visions from God. You're this powerful preacher. People respond. You started churches. You've got this track record and resume. They could have patted him on the back and almost worshipped him. But Paul said, because of my thorn in the flesh, I'm not seen as the powerful one. But God's power is demonstrated through me. It is literally completed, executed fully. It is perfected in weakness. And so he says, then I would gladly. It's with pleasure now. I consider it a privilege to be afflicted in such a way if it brings me into closer fellowship with God and it brings the ministry to be more powerful and effective that God's called me to do. And he uses that word, so that. Here's the, the goal, the power and weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Here's the question. Do you want God's power to dwell in you? Then are you willing to receive whatever it takes so that that could happen? That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I don't like this thorn. It's uncomfortable. Whatever it is, it's afflicting me. Paul would have thought, I think I could do better without it. But he finally realized, you know what, I couldn't because it would be all about me. Paul would say, God, do whatever you need to do in my life 
so that I would be able to walk in the power of your presence. And the ministry you've called me to would be effective because of your power. And so here's the bottom line. When, we get, when we're out of answers, when we're out of our strength, is when God's able to flex holy muscles. It's not about you. It's about God. And lastly, Paul even discovered in verse 10, there's contentment in weakness. Therefore, I am well content. The word content means to think well of or to approve, to be pleased or delighted. Philippians chapter 4, here's the way Paul put it. Verses 12 and 13. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In every, any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In fact, Paul gets real specific. He says, with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, literally weaknesses, being at the end of your strength, the word means frailty, feebleness. When you feel like you're at the end, is when God can usher in His power. With insults, Paul had experienced that. Paul experienced the fact that he had been at this church for 18 months establishing the church. As he moved on to other churches, false teachers came in behind him. And they couldn't elevate themselves, so what they did was try to demote Paul. So they insulted him. They said things like, you know, he's not that good of a speaker. In fact, his message is pretty worthless. He doesn't charge for it. It's free. Insults. You suffered any insults lately? When, when people look at your life and demean your life because of Christ, then you're experiencing insult. Paul rejoiced in that. Distresses, literally constraint and hardships. It's those times when you just feel hemmed in and trapped. With persecutions, when you're not treated fairly, you get a raw deal, they're prejudiced against you. Persecutions, in fact, that's what Paul used to do before he came to faith in Christ. He was one of those that pursued Christians and brought them back to Jerusalem to stand trial and on at least one occasion was in hearty agreement with putting one of them to death. That was Stephen. So Paul says, I take pleasure in those things now. He, he used to take pleasure in them because he was the one doing it. Now he takes pleasure in it because I'm the one receiving it. Paul used to be the tormentor now he's the one that looks at it and says, you know what, Jesus' torment is nothing compared to the glory of knowing you. Difficulties, literally narrowness of space, it's when you feel just weighed down. Where do you turn? Where do you turn when you feel weak, insulted, distressed, persecuted, and difficult, experiencing difficulties? You turn to God. And folks, it's all about His grace. Again, you're asking God, God, you've got to be power in me because I'm weak. But you're not. Paul said, I've experienced these things for the sake of Christ. And at the end of the day, when we experience those things, it's comforting to know there's a purpose to them. Bad times don't come for no purpose at all. In fact, James put it this way in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. So what James is teaching is God ultimately wants you to lack nothing. In fact, the next verse says, if you lack wisdom, ask from God and He'll give it to you. 
But what he really wants for you is, is to be able to endure in the Christian life. And how do we get that? How do we learn patience? There's not a pill. There's not a three-step process. It only comes one way, through trials. That's why you hear people say, don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> because the answer to that prayer is going to mean trials have to come your way so that you learn and grow through those things. But when you're in those things, understand there's a purpose here. God wants me to be perfect and complete. Don't have the attitude, well, I just don't want to be so perfect. <laughs> or don't have the attitude, I know this is a gift from God, but I don't want it. No, God wants you to be more like Him. So Paul saw the purpose, the point in this. It was so that God's power could be more clearly demonstrated through Him because He was nothing. And the world could look at Him and see what God was doing through Him and only credit one source. And what's that? That's God. Paul said, I've learned that when I'm weak, that's when I'm truly strong. The reason Paul was pleased is he recognized that this thorn, the difficulties he was experiencing, was giving him more effective ministry and a more intimate walk with Christ. As I close, let me ask us the question, because I'm asking myself the same thing. Can I be content with whatever God has to do in my life to make me have a more intimate walk with Him. Because it's all about His grace. But could I pray the same prayer Paul's praying? God, whatever you need to do in my life so that your power can be demonstrated through me, I'll rejoice in that. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. At times, this particular Word is one that we don't get in our culture. Our human tendency is to run from difficulties, not run to them. And yet, God, it's a practical word. Lord, I pray this week when we experience afflictions or difficulties, maybe even persecution or insults from people, God, may it, may it be that we rejoice in that because we know you're up to something. God, it's about your grace always, not about our power. So I pray that on behalf of myself and the people in this congregation that we live a life where it really is all about you. And whatever you need to do in our life is good. Thank you in Christ's name.